so we don't call it dirty for nothing. Welcome to EMS Cast. I'm Matt Mendez, and here today with another episode where Ross kidnaps someone to interview at his house in our studio. Ross, you got one of the people I am most excited to see in a recess bay when I am at work. Yeah, it's always great to see Lance's face across the recess bay when you need some medications. Today, we're talking to pharmacologist extraordinaire Lance Ray. Pharmacologist extraordinaire? Does that make you and I emergentologists? I think Lance is a pharmacist extraordinaire, Ross. Hey, my name is Lance Ray. I'm the clinical pharmacy specialist in emergency medicine at Denver Health. I'm the director of our PGY2 emergency medicine pharmacy residency. Uh, I lecture over at the School of Pharmacy occasionally, uh, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we recently did an episode on calcium channel blockers where we kind of talked about the dirty epi drip as a treatment modality for these. And afterwards, I was chatting with our pharmacist, Lance Ray, who had a ton of really great thoughts about this. And so I thought I would bring this to our listeners and we can dive a little deeper into the nitty gritty on dirty epi drips. This is a friendly reminder that this podcast is for advanced education of pre-hospital providers. You still have to know and follow your own protocols specific to your system. But I'm really excited to talk in depth about the dirty epi drip. Ross, I stopped riding on the ambulance in 2013 right before I started medical school. And at that time, this wasn't even on my radar. We just had these like pre-mixed bags of dopamine that I wore a watch for to every shift so that I could calculate the drops per minute using some clock method or something. And I think in the end, we're in a way better place with Dirty Epi, and I'm excited for Lance to give us his incredibly rational thoughts on this topic. And as usual, uh, nothing is as good as it seems, although probably better than dopamine. Yeah, all of those dopamine calculations certainly make for good test questions, but I'm not so certain they make for good patient care. Yeah, especially when you realize uh, for your entire paramedic career, you wore a digital watch. Uh, (laughs) So uh, let's jump into the interview. Lance, thanks for joining us again. So a few months ago, we did an episode on calcium channel blocker and beta blocker overdoses. And in that episode, we talked a little bit about using what's called a dirty epi drip. And uh, I was chatting with you about this later, and you had some thoughts with regards to the dirty epi drip. So I wanted to bring you on and talk a little bit about those thoughts. Um, So First and foremost, kind of uh, where did the dirty epi drip come from or why did it come about? Well, I think we all love to be pharmacists in our secret lives, right? So we all like to uh, uh, perform a little kitchen sink pharmacy. Who doesn't like mixing some drugs (laughs) together, right? Um, uh, But ultimately, it's probably something about dopamine sucking and uh, and a lot of math and and some other reasons. But uh, essentially, you know, how many times have you been in a a room after a patient's coded and you've got ROSC and uh, people turn to each other and go, well, must have liked that epi, right? Uh, so I think, honestly, out of lack of a better reasons, I think that's where the uh, practice came from. Um, we have epi on the pre-hospital uh, rigs, and um, so we figured out, apparently, over time, how to uh, compound this into where uh, we can infuse it into somebody. So why not? 
Okay. So it sounds like obviously you may have some uh, reservations with regards to this use, but first and foremost, let's kind of talk about some of the benefits of the dirty epi drip. Why are some agencies using it? Yeah. So like I said, it's dirty epi drip is something that can obviously be made on the fly uh, with supplies at the ready um, and ultimately by medics that are trying to do several things at once. So it seems like it's kind of a simplified break it down, keep it easy approach when you're in a high stress situation. How do you make the dirty epi drip? Yeah. So the most common recipe, and I say most common, but there's nothing really written in a book on how to make a dirty epi drip. It's one of the reasons we'll talk about which makes it dirty. Uh, but the most common practice is by getting a code epi syringe, which is one milligram per 10 cc's and injecting that into a liter of fluid, say normal saline. And when you do that, then you have, what, a concentration of one microgram per milliliter of right. epi? Exactly. And so, right, exactly. It gives you a one microgram per milliliter concentration of epi. And so with maybe one or two calculations or no calculations, you can sort of run epi at a somewhat relative rate to what a real compounded epi drip would be. But if you're running this wide open through a large bore IV, it sounds like you may be getting supra therapeutic doses of epi. Exactly. And as we'll talk about, there's lots of different things that could go wrong with this. I understand that it's uh, something that we can use in a pinch, but right. Uh, say, for example, you've got a large bore IV uh, in a patient and the epi's running this dirty epi drip that we've made is running wide open. It could, you know, you could be delivering super therapeutic doses, higher doses than you're intending to. What are our standard doses of, of epi that we think about in the department when we're using a pump and titrating more? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd say over the last uh, 10 to 20 years, a lot of hospitals have gone to uh, weight-based dosing for their vasopressors. We don't have a lot of evidence behind this, so it sort of stands to common reason. Um, but one of the older, and, and it's still around, and it's still a valid way to dose epi is just straight dosing. And by that, I mean something like 10 mics per minute, uh, whereas weight-based dosing might be 0.1 mic per kilo per minute. So if we're not using weight-based dosing and we're using just kind of your standard doses before weight-based, a, a typical epi dose in the emergency department would range from like one microgram per minute up to maybe a max of 20 micrograms per minute. But if we're thinking about our IV setups, say an 18 gauge IV, which is going to run at 90 milliliters per minute or almost hundred milliliters per minute, then you're going to be giving a whopping hundred micrograms per minute of epi, which is five times our max dose in the emergency department. I think for short transports where you're trying to set this up, run it wide open to get somebody's blood pressure up and a little better, that's, that's not too uncommon because a, a push dose of a milligram of epi every three to five minutes is going to be something like 330 micrograms per minute. Um, but if you're over a long period of transport, you can certainly run into troubles with this. So I guess that brings us to talking a little bit, what are the downsides of this dirty epi drip? So we don't call it dirty for nothing. Uh, no, not so much from a sterility standpoint, we can compound things extemporaneously, we call them in, in emergency situations. Um, it's only when we in or trying to store IVs or use them for, for hours and days uh, that we should worry about sterility. Um, and what makes this modality dirty is sort of how we run it. And I don't think we're really knowing exactly 
how we're running this. And for a high alert medication like Epi, it can be very consequential medication to not run on a pump. So we resort to drip rates. And we'll talk later about all the potential problems here. So then how or, or maybe when should we be using a dirty Epi drip? My position is that we should be employing a dirty Epi drip when we need continued vasopressor support after it's sort of reasonably been shown that Epi has worked in this person. And unfortunately, we only get that opportunity when we're doing like a milligram of Epi every three to five minutes, and that's benefited the patient. So I don't think we should be really starting this empirically as a vasopressor support, um, because a lot of times we really, to be frank, we haven't had a chance pre-hospital usually to be able to assess whether we've fully utilized like fluids, for example. Now, there could be some rare instances, um, uh, but I think that our best option is to extrapolate from our other data on, on epi pushes, right? And, and this kind of gets into conversation on, well, how well does epi work in the grand scheme of things? And so as we remember with like ACLS, epi until recently has zero long-term survival data behind it. Um, so again, from the perspective of epi pushes, we really shouldn't be hanging our hat on, well, this epi worked when it was really probably the chest compressions or the defibrillation, which has much more evidence. So as a pharmacist, I'll totally admit that epinephrine sort of sucks. I mean, along with all the other vasopressions, vasopressors, should we and can we use them as an adjunct? For sure. Should we be hanging our hat on them and as they're the sole purpose that we've achieved ROSC? Probably not. Um, but again, um, by virtue of association, I think that if Epi has worked um, in, say, a code scenario, I think we should consider uh, an Epi drip in the same so way. So vasopressors are really just placing a Band-Aid on the problem, and we need to figure out whatever is causing them to be hypotensive and try to reverse that. Sometimes that's with fluid. Sometimes that's with treatment of whatever the underlying problem is. But say we need that Band-Aid. Say we don't have another vasopressor to reach for, and, and we need a, a bridge to the hospital. How would you recommend we utilize the EpiDrip? My position on how we should use an EpiDrip is if your intent is to run an epinephrine infusion, with a dirty EpiDrip for hemodynamic support, my one kind of takeaway that I would recommend is try to run this drip after you've mixed that one milligram in one liter, try to run it as best as you can to three to five drips per second, rather than wide open. Of course, as Ross mentioned- And that's gonna be on a 20 drip set, is that correct? Yeah, and that'll also be on a, on a, on a 20 drip set, 20 so if, drops if, per milliliter. So if your agency carries a 10 drop set, that's actually gonna be one to three drops per second, as opposed to if you're carrying a 20 drop set, you're just gonna double that, it's gonna be like three to five drops per second. No, I think that's a great point, Ross. Um, and, and knowing what drip sets that your um, system uses, whether they're 20 drops, per milliliter uh, or whether they're 60 or whether they're 10, but knowing how many drops is in a milliliter uh, is important to kind of starting to do these calculations, um, which you can run through. Um, but if it's a standard 20 drips per milliliter drip set, then trying to run this at three to five drips per second rather than wide open would be my recommendation. So I think like you said, in the cardiac arrest scenario, we often have given the patient epinephrine. And so in our minds, okay, that patient really seemed to like the epi and we're going to start hanging an epi drip. But is epi really our preferred post-ROSC presser? 
I think that's a great question, Ross, and I'm not sure. And our ACLS guidelines don't point to a specific post-ROSC presser. So I think the question uh, hangs. Uh, and, you know, th things to consider is that epi, I view it as like jet fuel. Uh, we've got a lot of alpha adrenergic activity, which is really the effect that we want from epi is our increased um, perfusion pressures and our coronary perfusion pressures um, post-ROSC. What epi ends up providing is a lot more beta-1 effect than we may want. And what this might translate to is an increased chronotropy and increased inotropy, and which also work into this increased myocardial oxygen demand. Well, we're tiring out a heart that's already fatigued. And as, as, as one person, I, I remember saying, we're, we're flogging an already dead heart with, with, with epi and a lot of beta-1. Uh, and it may make things worse. Again, there's, there's no consensus on what your best post-ROSC uh, vasopressor is. We have epi, um, and we tend to think, well, we've used epi one milligram every three to five minutes during our uh, uh, ACLS. Why not continue it? But I'm not convinced that it's the best presser to use going forward. Um, uh, I think that norepinephrine uh, is a balanced vasopressor. It provides that alpha and that peripheral vasopressor support while not totally flogging the heart with, with beta and, and, and causing an already tired and irritable heart to overdrive and overwork itself. So you know, probably be more to come on this in years, but uh, I believe that norepi might even be a, a, a better post-ROSC vasopressor. Um, and I may even go out on a limb here and be provocative and say I'd rather uh, maybe give nothing uh, post-ROSC as opposed to epi. I think this has been an interesting evolution of medicine where we used to reach for dopamine. I feel like that was the go-to in the both in the hospital and pre-hospital setting and the especially post-arrest patient, but in a lot of other patients. And with further research, we realized that all of that beta Activity was giving us a lot of adverse events on those dopamine drips. And I feel like we may be running that same way with epi as we look at some of the trials that have come out over the years. And, and really, the more and more we look at it, neuroepi seems to be, like you said, our balanced option that doesn't give us as much of that arrhythmogenic effects in adverse events while still giving you some of that vasopressor squeeze. So I have to wonder if you know, we've seen that switch within the emergency department if we're going to see that bleed out into the pre-hospital department in the future as well. Pause. Did you just call it neuroepi? What's wrong with neuroepi? Um, so just to clarify for the listeners, it's norepi, not neuroepi. Nor as in Ross is neither eloquent, nor does he talk good. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm starting to recommend after ROSC, you know, and remind people, hey, well, you know, remember, there's not a whole lot of evidence behind using epi post ROSC. So nor epi may be our, our best bet. Uh, more to be seen on that. Uh, another question, Ross. Does Matt Mendez even like me? <laughs> I woke up this morning and I'm on my way over here. I'm like, well, I just want to meet Matt outside of work. And it's like coming to meet like the king and queen of England and like one of them's not even there. And I don't know how you feel, but but I, I don't even I don't even know if Matt really likes me. Yeah, but. it was a weird response to this email when I told him you were coming to do an episode. And he's like, uh, yeah, I think I uh, am going to trade a shift tomorrow. Got something to else to do. I'd rather go work. 
Uh, well, tell Matt I said hi, and hopefully uh, 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 people will know now that that if Matt comes in and slams any of my recommendation, I was I was defenseless in in, in any rebuttals. <laughs> I love Lance. I call Lance for help all the time at work. I could never slam any of Lance's recommendations because I would blindly follow Lance into the ninth circle of pharmacological hell. In fact, I think Lance is so tired of me always asking for help that he agreed to do some of these episodes just to teach me things so that I call him less when we're at work. All right, Lance, we talked about a lot of pros and cons here with regards to our use of the dirty epi drip in the pre-hospital setting. Can you just kind of put it all together and summarize it for us? I think that uh, dirty epi drip is an acceptable approach uh, in, in many situations, uh, especially when an EMS crew is trying to do lots of different things at once, and uh, there's a recipe that's standardized, I think, for the most part, uh, knowing that this comes down to one microgram per cc, uh, and, and, uh, but also knowing the different uh, variables at play with this. Um, I think the uh, maybe one thing to take away with a epi drip is that it's one microgram per milliliter, and that a normal epi vasopressor infusion that we would run in the ED or in the ICU is typically about one to ten micrograms per minute, right? And so we could translate that to one to 10 milliliters per minute. Now you can take your drip sets and decide, well, you know, how many drops are in a milliliter, but again, one to 10 milliliters per minute for one of these dirty epi drips um, would be an appropriate dose. Uh, I think getting away from just setting these up and running them to gravity uh, is important. I think you could get into um, uh, lots of trouble here. Um, for example, say somebody who has a uh, 16 gauge uh, and you're running this drip to gravity, we could be dealing with something like 330 micrograms per minute if this is running uh, to, to gravity. Uh, uh, and, and conversely, somebody who's got a 22 gauge in the wrist and we run that to gravity, that's 36 micrograms per minute, which is actually more of a reasonable dose for uh, epinephrine as a vasopressor. Uh, knowing that we're if we're running a dirty epi drip at that previous you know, gravity in a 16 gauge, knowing that that rate at 330 mics per minute is more like code dose epi um, is, is an important takeaway. Uh, so kind of knowing how your different IV gauges and, and running those to gravity could get you in trouble. Um, I think knowing the uh, rule of one to 10 milliliters per minute is, is a good rule to go by. Um, again, uh, lots of variables here with the dirty epi drip. Number one being the recipe, fairly standard though, I'd say. Uh, variable number two that we talked about, kind of our, our gauges of IV. Um, but again, if we could just kind of simplify that and run it to one milliliter up to 10 milliliters uh, per minute, um, 10 milliliters could be a, a soft max. You could even run it at, at 20. Um, but again, keeping an eye, if you're not running this on a smart pump, like we have in the hospitals where it kind of forces and pushes the, uh, volume through into the patient, knowing that the patient's arm could be clenched or the body habitus could be preventing, uh, the drip at all from running, uh, you know, and that, that, that's a big uh, variable there. Um, but I think taking everything into consideration and, uh, all these variables, uh, is, is kind of the, the safest approach. All right, Ross, that was a great summary from Lance, but 
I have some scenarios for you from when you're a medical director next year, and I want you to answer these questions. You ready? Shoot. Okay, scenario one, patient has cardiac arrest of any arrhythmia, doesn't matter, and the crew gets ROSC in the field, uh, but the patient is hypotensive after ROSC. Can they start a dirty epidrip in your system, or do they have to call you, or no? Start the dirty epidrip if they're hypotensive, status post-ROSC. Um, and this is one of the beautiful things about dirty epi is it took away some of that math that caused a lot of errors with dopamine. That being said, Lance brings up a really good point that you have to realize if you just open that dirty epidrip wide open, you're going to be giving whopping cardiac doses of epi. So you're probably going to need to titrate it down and start to pay attention to your drips per second as you get further into using that medication and the blood pressure improves. All right. Scenario number two, patient has a uh, hypotension and a heart rate of like 36, some high degree block on EKG, like a second degree type two or a third degree block. Uh, the crew tries atropine. It doesn't work. And the patient's still hypotensive. The crew starts pacing them. Uh, their initial rate is 80 beats per minute with 80 milliamps. And they get good mechanical capture with that, but the patient is still hypotensive. It's a super smart crew, so they turn the, the pacer rate up to 100, but the patient is still hypotensive. Will you let them do a dirty epidrip? So this is a more difficult scenario, and I would say in this case, I want you to call me. I want you to call your medical director or your base contact to discuss the case with them because it's tough. Initially, you probably thought, hey, this person's hypotensive because their heart rate's so slow, but now we fixed the heart rate and it's beating faster and they still seem to be hypotensive. So is the right answer turning the pacer up even further or is the right answer starting some sort of presser? It's You probably start a presser in this situation, but I definitely think you want to talk to a physician about it and kind of mull over the case together. Cool. Case number three, patient has shock from anaphylaxis despite two rounds of IM epi. Do you have them do a dirty epi drip or keep going with IM epi doses? I think this is probably going to depend on where you work and what your system is. And here in the city and county of Denver, just doing another dose of IM epi probably be sufficient, especially if you saw a good response with those first ones. However, you're going to have a much longer transport than I think talking with a physician about starting an epi drip is probably going to be better for the longer period. That being said, you're not going to want to just open this wide open like we did with that post Ross patient because you're going to be giving cardiac dose epi. And so this is where you're going to really want to pay attention to your drips per second to make sure you're getting the appropriate dose of epi. Case number four. Uh, and this case is uh, a callback to the calcium channel blocker overdose episode, which was the inspiration for this episode. Um, you have a patient with a calcium channel blocker overdose. The crew gives a decent amount of fluids and they're still hypotensive and bradycardic and not responsive to fluids. Do you do a dirty epi drip then? Yes, absolutely. I think you're probably still going to want to talk to a physician, your base in this scenario, just so you make sure you talk through the entire case, make sure you're not missing something or another treatment modality. But I think this case, especially with the large doses of our dirty epi drip is, is what this drip is going to be great for. Because as we talked about in that calcium channel blocker overdose episode, you may need really large doses of epi to overcome that blockade. All right. Case five. Uh, this is not a scenario for uh, city providers, but you have a patient who is 
status post like a big blunt trauma, like a big car accident, and they're hypotensive, and and you're transporting to a trauma center. It's a longer transport, so you've already given like two to three liters of crystalloid, and you still have another 20, 25 minutes till you get to the trauma center, but they're still hypotensive after that fluid, and you don't have blood. Do you give more fluid? Do you start a dirty epidrip? Oh, this is a tough scenario. I think first thing I'm going to ask if you call me with this is why'd you give three liters of fluids? I, I probably wouldn't recommend that, but if a liter of fluids doesn't help your blood pressure, kind of what to do next, especially if you don't have readily access to blood and you still have a long transport. I'm going to be honest. I don't think anybody knows the answer. I think some trauma surgeons would tell you to start pressors to try to augment perfusion. I think others would tell you you're only going to increase your bleeding and ischemia and not get it get any benefit from those pressors. I think the God's honest truth is we don't have any studies and we have no idea if, if one option is going to hurt the patient versus the other option helps versus vice versa. Yeah, it's a really tough one. I don't know what I would do either, but that's a, a really tough case. But that's it. That's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please uh, write in or comment or contact us however you want to tell us what you want to hear about next. And uh, we'll see you on the next one.